Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brett Bow, and myself come to you live from RefCon 2019. We hope you enjoy the Q&A session that we had there. Welcome to the Being Lutheran Podcast. I'm Pastor Brett Bow, and I'm sitting in the beautiful sanctuary of Faith Free Lutheran in South Minneapolis and with my buddies. And you just killed my opening line. Oh, you killed sorry. My, I was going to ask Brian what all these people were doing in his living room, and you spoiled the fun. Yeah. No, I'm Pastor Jason Goodham, and we are yes. in my congregation in the yes. sanctuary at Faith Free Lutheran in South Minneapolis, uh, recording three live episodes. Mm-hmm. I don't know, Brian, how much of the echo of the sanctuary we're going to get in this. We'll get a little bit, but all it'll right. be all right. Yeah. Yeah. So we're proving to people that... We're not just a recording in the basement of our parents' nerds uh, in our room parents' or, basement. Yeah, yeah, right. So Maybe. we'll get. Well, we're no, still my, nerds. We're my just parents not in the have kicked me out long ago. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, well, thanks, Jason, and and uh, the church here for hosting us today. We're excited about RefCon. It's finally here. We've been talking about it for so long, and uh, so today we're going to re- record just a few uh, live episodes, and uh, we've taken some questions from our social media pages, and uh, that will be the content of today's, this first episode. Yep. Excellent. Fire away, Brett. All well, right. Oh, go well, ahead. The World Series. You, you're just going to pass <laughs> by the World so, Series? Yeah. So we're going to talk about the World Series now. Just briefly, it's irrelevant to Brett. The White Sox oh, wouldn't, I mean, man. only way the yeah. White Sox are going to the World Series in the next 15 years is if they buy a ticket. Oh. And <laughs> the Twins got swept out of the playoffs. And uh, yeah, I saw Gideon wore his White yep, Sox he's shirt. Here, and I still Gideon. didn't kick yep. him out of the building. Well, so that's good. That's Thank grace. you for, for loving us. Yeah. Yeah. Walking in the love of Christ. Walking, yes, yep. that's what, yeah. Vocation. Vocation. See, I got vocation. it in. All right, yeah. There it is. <laughs> Everybody, vocation. Almost, vocation. Yeah. Well, next episode, we'll do an audience vocation. There you go. Yes. Yeah. yeah, excited to have uh, questions from our live audience today. But uh, for now, we, we do have a, a handful of questions that we got from both our Being Lutheran Facebook page and Twitter page. And if you haven't already, go find us on those uh, platforms and follow us. Um, for posts, regular posts. Um, but the first question today comes from uh, a, a college-aged kid from my congregation in Shakopee. Uh, ben asks, what do you think Paul means by, quote, all Israel will be saved in Romans 11? So we're starting off with a real yeah, easy one. Like we're yeah. starting off with yes. a softball, getting yeah. us warmed up with some fluff. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, all Israel will be saved from the Romans 9, really, and it's really from yeah, Romans right. 9 through 11. 9 through 11. So... Before we answer that question, there there are three ways you can look at interpreting that verse, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, the first way is that all Israel, meaning ethnic Jews, are saved for all time, regardless of anything. Okay. So if you were in there, there, there are Christian- Door number denom- one. Yeah, door number one. Okay. Christian denominations will interpret it that all Jews get saved automatically because they're Jews. Okay. So kind of like a Unitarian uh, Jewish perspective. Well, I'll get into that. <laughs> the, the second way to interpret it, it's kind of a middling interpretation, is that all Jews will be saved by coming to faith in Christ. And, and there's, a, there's a significant part of the American evangelical church that thinks mm-hmm. that part of the prophecies of the end times, uh, that there will be mm-hmm. a massive coming to faith of ethnic Jews. Okay. And so that's kind of your middling ground. Um, there's, I, I know quite a few people in that category. Or the third way, which is the traditional Lutheran understanding of things, is mm-hmm. that we're not talking about 
ethnic Israel, we're talking about spiritual Israel. Mm-hmm. And so those are your really three options. Door number three. Yeah, door, door number, number two, three. Door number three. And uh, the, traditionally the Lutherans fall in door number three. It comes from actually earlier in that chapter, uh, it's what, 9.5 or 9.6, Paul says, and not all who are Israel are Israel is kind of the, or not all who belong to Israel mm-hmm. are Israel. And the Lutherans have taken a spiritual understanding of that phrase, indicating that when, when Paul is referring to Israel here, he's referring to the children of God mm-hmm. and not to an ethnic race. And, and so the, the way we would explain that is that uh, even in the Old Testament, you had people who were Jews who believed in the promises that God had given to the patriarchs, God had given to Noah, God had revealed through his prophets, and they had faith in the coming Messiah. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, in the nation of Israel, there were just people who didn't believe. Mm-hmm. They were idolaters, right. apostates, yep. whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I think the thing that's helped me understand this too is that that picture of that olive tree mm-hmm. and the branches being broken off because mm-hmm. of unbelief, like what you're saying, and, yep. and being grafted in because of belief. And uh, and so, yeah, that's that's maybe a helpful image that is used in that section of scripture as well? Yeah, there, there's, there's a bunch of different ways we go. And, and I, th- I think really we had to back up and look at the three doors. Mm-hmm. Um, in reality, door number one, no matter where you at, you're at, door number one is out of the question. Sure. Yep. Because it involves you believing that there is salvation apart from Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. which, I mean, basically heresy, right? I mean, we, mm-hmm. we can't go outside of Jesus Christ for salvation. The confession is that anyone who has been saved for all time, before the cross, during the time of Christ, and after the cross, has been saved because of faith in the promise. Mm-hmm. And one way to think about this is if at any time you have been able to receive salvation apart from Christ, that means right now there is a way to receive salvation apart from Christ. And that is not consistent with what the Bible teaches. So we can lop off door number one. Mm-hmm. Door number two or three. You're a bad game show host, by the I'm way. Terrible. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I'm terrible for other reasons than that too. But uh, the, now we have to look at is is this a prophecy about DNA, or is it a prophecy about something else? And, and, and that's what we're really looking at. And, and you look throughout Scripture. The, the the verse that actually helps me understand it the mm-hmm. best is in. Uh, Galatia. First, no. was it First Samuel or Second first Samuel? Hesitation. Second Samuel. First yeah, hesitations. First hesitations. <laughs> second Hezekiah. Yeah. No, uh, Second Second Kings nineteen. It's so you had Elijah in the prophets of Baal and Mount Carmel is chapter eighteen, and then chapter nineteen he runs away uh, because Jezebel threatens his life, mm-hmm. and in his discouragement and in his crying out to God that he's the only prophet left and everyone's trying to kill him. At the end of that section, God says, I have reserved in Israel 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And so we look at throughout scripture. And what we find out is that in the nation of Israel, you have the people of God who believed the promise, who received the promise, who were justified by faith, just as Paul explains Abraham was back in Genesis 15. Mm -hmm. Right? At the same time, in Israel, there are people who did not believe the promise. There are people who rejected the promise. The kings of the northern kingdom and almost every resident of the northern kingdom after the split, when they abandoned the temple and they abandoned the worship and they set up the golden calves in Dan and in Bethel, uh, fell away from the faith. And so 
the teaching of scripture consistently through is that those who are saved are those who believed the promise of the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Past, present, future. That's mm. what it looks like. Yeah. There are Good. several yep. Lutheran theologians that believe that he repeats uh, that in a different way in chapter 10, as you mm-hmm. know, talking about Romans chapter 9, chapter 10, and it jumps in in verse 11. For scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on his name. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And mm-hmm. that would kind of repeat the spiritual Israel mm-hmm. idea that you're, you're fleshing out here. So Yeah. And yeah good. As far as door number two is concerned, I don't have a problem with thinking that there would be a mass conversion of sure. Jews to the gospel. I just don't necessarily find evidence of it in scripture. Would it be helpful at this point to maybe take a little bit of a step back and say, you know, within Lutheranism, there are diff- differing views of of even end times, or at least nope. in some Lutheran circles? Yeah, when I say, I, I try to qualify by saying the historical Lutheran view sure. or the traditional yeah. Lutheran view, there, there are other views. And again, mm-hmm. theologically speaking, I don't think you really need to object to a hope a confession that there's going to be a mass conversion of Jews to the mm-hmm. gospel. I mean, we would have all nations have a I mass think all conversion of us would say, to the gospel. Yeah, I amen hope that, to that. Yeah, yeah, I hope right. that happens. But it's a matter of what it's talking about. So, in in the context of what Romans nine, ten, and eleven, which are really that three chapter arc where this is the subject matter of what Paul is teaching, we what we believe it is saying is that salvation comes by faith through the gospel. And in this case, Israel is a spiritual term that points us to the children of God by faith. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, I think uh, that's, that's good for now. Thank you, Ben, for your question. <laughs> good job, Ben. Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, and I suppose Ben can talk to me later. Uh, he I, sees part of my church. Yeah, but, you, yeah, you follow up with your pastor. Right, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm also really grateful that not a single person on social media asked us if God could create a rock so big. Yes, and he thank you. Lift it. Thank you, listeners. Yes. <laughs> How many uh, angels can dance right. on the head of a pin? All right. Well, our next one maybe will, maybe is the next level from that. Oh, uh, it's hard to get more intense yeah. than that, but let's try. Uh, listener Brian asked a question about the Apostles' Creed. A few questions. He said, um, did Jesus really go to hell? Where is the conclusive proof? And then he also asked, who wrote the Apostles' Creed? The Apostles, of course, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can answer the third one first. Uh, the Apostles' Creed mm-hmm. is likely not written by the yeah, Apostles, right, right. Um, but we have a, a version that is very close to the final version from the second century. Yep. Uh, so it was a baptismal confession of the early church. In the Didache, yep. yeah. Yeah, and so, I mean, it's, it's not like this came about a few hundred years ago or whatever in the church. Yeah. This is almost as old as Scripture. Not mm-hmm. quite, but almost as old as Scripture. Uh, the tradition when Luther rejiggered the catechism uh, when he was on the scene, the Roman Catholic Church taught that one apostle wrote each line of the Apostles' Creed. And so it was divided up into 12 parts, and that's how it was organized. And Luther was really one of the very first ones to reorganize it by the persons of the Trinity. I don't think he's the only one, but he was one of the first to have done that. And so we get the Apostles' Creed from church history, um, it's very clearly taken from the teachings of the apostles. You can find an equivalent uh, scriptural passage for every phrase, which kind of brings mm-hmm. us to the question, that, that what conclusive... about the descent to the hell? Oh, yeah. sure. Yep. Yep. You can answer that one, Brett. 
thought, oh, I thought you said you were going to know. No, I, I didn't, well, but that's okay. okay. Yeah. Um, again, a Luther, the Lutheran traditional view is that he went to proclaim victory yeah, right. uh, to the captives. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the, the argument that I've heard from other people that um, where we hear maybe hesitation toward that idea is, well, is Jesus going down there to rub it in everybody's face? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and I, I understand where they're coming from yep. there, but... Or even it, to, like, suffer in some way. Yep, yeah, exactly. Yep. And, you know, when he went... Well, if we look at that verse, mm-hmm. you know, in First Peter, Peter chapter 3, yep. verse 19, in, in which he went, Jesus, and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. And so it's not... It's a different word for prison, than mm-hmm. it is used for hell. That doesn't mean it can't mm-hmm. mean that. But it also talks about because they formerly did not obey, and this is the people in the time of Noah, when God's patient waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. And so in this passing statement, we have this mm-hmm. scriptural proclamation that Jesus went and preached to the prisoners who are captive. The bottom line that we have to say is we don't really know everything about this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we have to be careful not to try to cut out our own pieces of the puzzle here. And so this is a mystery, mm-hmm. you know? And so the fact that it made it into the Apostles' Creed and not into the Nicene Creed, well, it's something we should talk about. We can't just mm-hmm. kind of pretend that this doesn't happen. But it is in the Athanasian Creed. It is, absolutely. <laughs> and, and, that, and, and that's really, really an interesting thing based mm-hmm. on, on this one scripture. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line is, we know that in some way, shape, or form, Christ did proclaim victory yeah. to the yep. captives. Right. As far as all of the detail around that, I think it's just mm-hmm. best to say we don't know. Right. We just don't know the whole story behind that. And that that's part of, you know, in the Lutheran church, we, we like to stay in that, the paradox of, of things sometimes. The tension, the, 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 the tension. tension. Live in yep. the tension, yeah, that's a better word. Um, of We don't have to know all the details in order to um, to hold to a scriptural teaching. And, and I think, too, practically speaking, when we're in our congregations, saying the Apostles' Creed together, we can have confidence, even as we say that phrase, he, he descended into hell, mm-hmm. to have our minds go to victory, you know, think of, of yeah. the victory of Christ or the exaltation of Christ. Yeah. yeah, and it's, I mean, it's, this is only really, well, I guess can't say really, it popped up in the Reformation a couple of times, but in recent theology is when this has come under yeah. attack. Um, it's the, the Mormons, and I believe Joyce Meyer, teach that the descent into hell was for suffering, Okay. Like to continue to atone <laughs> yeah. for sins. I haven't heard that. I, yeah, that no. Um, yeah. Yeah, okay, <laughs> and then yeah. It's actually uh, one, of, one of your guys that you've contended with on the podcast a couple times, Wayne Grudem, mm-hmm. has taught that Scripture doesn't teach the descent into hell, that it's referring to Christ's human nature. Yeah. And um, there, so that's why it's popped up. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, when I, I went to a pastor's conference down at Moody, and we had a discussion about that with pastors because we were the only Lutherans in, no, the, in right. the class. But it was interesting. It was really a fascinating mm-hmm. uh, discussion. And so, yeah. yeah so the, the descent into hell is one of my favorite things in the confessions because it's so succinct. It's in the formula of Concord. And what they say with it is leave it alone. Uh, confess it as scriptural reality and then let it be. We don't have to probe that mystery. Mm -hmm. Uh, The real question is... Live in that tension. Yeah, live in that tension. Since it's in there and we can point to scriptural references, Ephesians 4 Mm -hmm. and 1 Peter 3, which it's so interesting, it's part of the baptism passage, uh, is why would you need to remove it? Mm -hmm. What is the harm that it is doing to the faith? Mm -hmm. 
And, and I think that's a better question to be asking instead of just altering things either because we don't understand them or don't mm-hmm. understand them as fully as just we like. patiently teach it and Patiently listen. teach it, yep. let scripture mm-hmm. stand for it. Uh, and I don't think it does any violence to the rest of our confession. No, I think the the primary view of the people in the discussion that we had in Chicago was that they didn't want to confuse congregation members. And so they ended up choosing to use the Nicene Creed more so Hmm. than they would use the Apostles' Creed. Which is is interesting that they would choose to use the Nicene Creed because the Nicene Creed has one baptism for us all in there. (laughs) And that's a different fight to pick with. And actually that came up and we didn't go down that road. (laughs) Imagine that. Yeah. No, it's it's an interesting topic to think about. But it's one of those things which is, we've all talked about, it's one of our favorite Lutheran distinctives Mm -hmm. is that, we go as far as scripture lets us go and, and, and then we farther. stop yep. and not farther. Yep. Yeah. Well, thank you, Brian, for your question. We'll move on to the next question. It comes from Clayton, uh, who is a pastor. And he says this, well, maybe I shouldn't say he's a pastor. He's a pastor. Well, he is a pastor. <laughs> Sorry, uh, Clayton. Clayton. Brett didn't mean to insult you publicly. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, Clayton asks, here's one that's a current issue. Joe Biden, a Catholic, was recently refused communion. Would Lutherans ever refuse communion to someone? Yes. 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 <laughs> Can we just stop there? No. Uh, okay, right. next question. Uh, that was well, easy enough. Well, maybe why why would we say oh, yes okay. to that? That wasn't part of Clayton's question. Well, I'll just I'll I'll stand <laughs> on Clayton's side now. Yeah. yeah, right. The the first thing is I've had people ask me mm-hmm. like did did that Catholic priest do the right thing? Well, according to what the Catholics believe and what they're convinced of and the and the, the formal stand of the Catholic Church, that priest did do the right thing. I know that some people might get angry at mm-hmm. that, but he, according to what you know, Catholics confess, he did. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how you guys, but I have withheld communion mm-hmm. from someone. But I always make sure it I wasn't try a to snap speak judgment, to them. Right? No, yeah, no, and, right. and I, I, I'm really not making this up. And I, I, I know this is. <laughs> Thanks. I had, I had someone come into my church that claimed to be Jesus. Oh, that's right. That's, I remember that story. <laughs> I yes. mean, my joke yeah. to you guys was, oh yeah, I go, I'm here for the first month and I just kicked Jesus out of my church. You know? and, and, uh, but this guy, he was serious. Yeah, and right. I sat down with him. I thought maybe there was a, a misunderstanding. <laughs> he was from another country. But this man was convinced that he was Jesus. Wow. Well, of course I'm not going to serve him communion. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we had a, a, an interesting and, and a, a little bit of a heated exchange, more because <laughs> he got mad at me which I didn't want it to be that way. But at the same time, because of Christ's presence, we no. have to honor that. Sure. Glad I you know. said Christ's presence there, not Jesus' yeah, presence. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Just clarify. Uh, so I have. Um, there's also been other issues where I've been working with someone yeah, toward reconciliation, right. someone yep. that came and confessed sin to me. Yep. And we worked through that and we picked mm-hmm. a time yep. uh, in order to abstain so that we could um, kind of work together, bear one another's burdens, as it says in mm-hmm. Galatians 6, 1 and 2, yep. and walk through that restoration process. Yep. And it was wonderful because what it did for that person is it allowed them, uh, allowed the Holy Spirit to kind of place a real reverence in his heart mm-hmm. for the presence of Christ mm-hmm. in communion. Yep. And so and, it can be a real blessing, but the answer right. is yes. Yeah. Right. There, I think there's two circumstances really from a Lutheran perspective where you would withhold communion. One is like you said, church discipline, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, where you are, yep. uh, if someone is not repentant of their sins, they are not to receive the body and blood of Christ. That's It's 
very clear in scripture. And then from a, a Lutheran perspective, there is an issue of doctrinal disagreement where we recognize things about the body and blood of Christ as truth of scripture, the real presence. Uh, and, and so, I mean, what we do at this church is before serving communion, I direct people to a statement of faith that mm -hmm. we make about if you come forward, you are agreeing with us that you are receiving the body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And so there's a, there's a sense of doctrinal unity that has to happen there. And I, I'm not totally familiar uh, with the Biden experience, but I know in the past there have been Roman Catholic churches that have struggled with serving communion to pro-choice Democrats. And that was the issue yeah. there. Yeah. Was That's that why I figured was, what it because was. Because he was a, a pro-choice Democrat, so and was, that priest chose not to nope. serve right. communion to him. So this is a little bit in the church discipline realm. That would be for, church discipline yeah, right. in this case. Yep. yep. Good. Well, thank you, Clayton, for your question. We have one more question from our uh, socials, the socials. Can I just yeah, end with ahead. one thing? So I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, want, I know, I think we did this, but I just want to stress that we're not the communion police, mm -hmm. you know, and the, the, the whole heart of this is number one, to honor Christ in this yep. and, and the wonderful gift that he has given to us through his life, death and resurrection and, and the, the wonderful means of grace that we've been mm -hmm. extended by Holy Communion. Yeah. But we always work toward reconciliation. That's always the heart yeah. is yep. that yep. in the love of Christ, we are working together toward that reconciliation that we can grow together and be built up in love. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I just want to stress that. Yeah. Where, wherever there is church discipline, wherever there's preaching in the law, the goal is repentance, not smiting. Yes. And wherever there's repentance, there's forgiveness. Yeah. I don't know. I, I liked smiting. You, yeah, no, it's just, <laughs> you are a Red Sox fan, aren't no. you? No. <laughs> My heart just stopped uh, for a second yeah, there, right. Bo. No. All right. Okay, so we have another question, um, and I think we'll... This That's would be a, a yeah. good good amount for... Our, Looked like we tried to do this. Yeah, a normal-sized uh, episode for us. Um, comes from Pastor J. Christian Andrews. He is a pastor. I know that. <laughs> um, <laughs> he says... Um, Sorry again, Clayton. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> what is the AFLC rationale for practicing non-member Holy Communion? So this is the flip side of that same coin, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, right. Similar. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, really, the answer to that is listen to the four-episode arc we had yeah, right. with uh, Pastor Brady from the LCMS yeah. and mm -hmm. the differences between us yep. and um, Missouri the Missouri Synod. And it really it comes down to the question of where pastoral oversight falls mm -hmm. in serving to communion, serving communion to someone who's at the altar. And mm -hmm. in the Missouri Synod, pastoral oversight is one of the main functions of what they're doing in serving the sacrament. And so they want to have that be a functioning thing. Yeah. In the AFLC, uh, I mean, it, this is not intended to be a cheap shot at the Missouri Synod, but mm -hmm. really it comes down to our doctrine of the word and the working of the Holy Spirit through that, mm -hmm. where uh, if... That person comes under conviction and repentance through the preaching of the law and then comes to faith by the preaching of the gospel and they come forward and by their confession want to receive the body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. We're not going to question that at the altar. Yeah, mm -hmm. It's also the application of the doctrine of the office of the keys. Too. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. you know, Missouri Senate's going to have a little bit different view uh, than, than the AFLC technically would. And I know that we, even within our denomination, there are some that would side more with the Missouri Senate and then others that wouldn't. Mm -hmm. And so there's, there's a little bit of, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, we don't presume to speak there. for the whole AFLC on Well, we don't. That, and, 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 and we're just speaking generally. Just yeah. speaking generally, you, you, part of the things of being in the AFLC is you can't ever speak for the whole AFLC. Yeah, That's right. not how it goes. But uh, one thing we would clarify, and, and I think we did an excellent job with that with Brady, is it's not like 
Missouri pa- practices closed communion and we practice open communion. Mm-hmm. It's that we practice a different form of closed communion. And it's, and it's really, again, it's where pastoral oversight comes into play and where how your expression of the doctrine of the word and the doctrine of the keys come into play as someone comes to the altar to receive the Lord's Supper. Yep. Mm-hmm. Cool. Amen. Amen. Well, All right. That's that's you about Bible it. Verse yeah, you have a verse? I, like, no, oh, I know. no. Hey, we're we're off <laughs> we our game. Yeah, well, right. Right. Um, we used all the Bible verses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got only one of those pocket Gideon bikes? Exactly. <laughs> no, I don't actually. Um, now, uh, Ephesians chapter three, verses twenty uh, and twenty-one. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. 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 Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also, invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. Please join us for our next episode as we have another live episode from RevCon 2019. God bless you and have a great week.